we're all learning together. Mic check, okay, mic check, so mic this check, is amazing. Check. So Tim Timmerman just said Josh Need is the reason why you don't help friends move anymore. Uh, yeah, so I have a few <laughs> life rules, and one of them is I don't help friends move, so don't ask. So I just don't. Like I'm on that train now. There was now. a period of time in my life where I helped a lot of people move. Yeah. And at that point, I was kind of like, you know what? I, I feel like I've filled this quota. I don't need to do this I'm, anymore. I'm at the point where I don't help myself move. <laughs> yeah, like that's, yeah. that's how much I hate yeah, it. Agreed. Dude, same. I have been avoiding moving out of my place for a year just because I don't want to do it again. I just can't. Yep. It's, it's not over. for everybody. Yes. Yeah. I had this awful situation that no one's going to care about how awful it was, but... Um, <laughs> We were. I was leaving my townhouse and I was moving into my like like house. Oh yeah. And um, and I was supposed to give the keys to the guy renting my place in the or buying my place in the morning, uh-huh. and then go to the closing for the house and get the new keys. And it was going to be this seamless transition. The recipe for disaster. I show up to my closing. After I've already given my keys away, and the woman says, oh, my stuff's not out of there yet. I'm going to need, like, another two weeks. <gasps> so I had to go, I had to get a pod. Do you remember this? I yeah. Do. So yeah. they had this, I had a pod park. I mean, this is a lot, this is like 10 years yeah, ago, maybe it, more. Yeah, yeah, at least. And, uh... <laughs> I had a pod, and then we just ca- we we loaded this pod like we were playing Tetris. It was because I had no idea how long it was going to sit in there. Wait, this is when you there. two moved together, or when did no, this no, is the no, story? No, no, no. Well, he I load the pod. Did I help move the pod? I don't remember. It yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah, I just remember it was in Westchester. But I remember <laughs> he helped. But I didn't know how to get a washing machine. Like it's like if you're getting it out of a basement, like there's like stairs that have to be navigated. Yeah. Without and dude, this guy's a pro, the man. Straps, I'm telling you, know, you. Put him over your shoulder and just like. Just yes. Like, oh my gosh. Who is this Hulk who is helping me? What I love about Tim is he doesn't put any emotions in anything. Not I don't. That's not true. I mean, when it comes to stuff like that, you're like, it just needs to be done. Just that's all I'm going to focus it, on. Know? Just it's do like, it. It's you gotta know? go up the stairs. Exactly. It's gonna it, suck. It, like, so the sooner it's over, we can be you're happy. Again. Really good. You're yeah. admirable at steamrolling. How good Hilarious. you are, at it. Josh. Good to see, you, man. Always my pleasure, man. Thank you. I still owe you beer and pizza. I think it's all good. All right. Well, okay. When you guys do that, will you um, can I go with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, yeah. are you the person of interest? Yes, yes. Way to kick off the, the podcast. All right. <laughs> well, this week's person of interest is Josh Need. Thank you so much. And I must say, Josh, we were just talking. I am overwhelmed trying to. I'm just going to read a little bit from your personal website. Okay. Right. <clears throat> this is Josh Need. For those who don't know, Josh Need is a very well known and accomplished. Stand-up comedian. You own Cincy Shirts here in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a very, very um, popular and, I want to say productive, but um, a very lucrative business that you started here. You're offic- the official shirts of FC Cincinnati? Uh, we we have a license to make FC shirts. We have, since the beginning, uh, FCC shirts. Um, you are not. You can't just say FC. Oh, that's just, right. Just so you know. Gotcha. Um, FC, FCC... Um, was kind enough to go to bat for us when they moved up to MLS, Yay. asking if uh, there was a way for us to continue to work with them. And uh, MLS and f- the company Fanatics, who who has the exclusive rights to the whole league, worked out a deal that made us the only local licensee in the whole country for MLS. Oh, so we're the only company 
that can make uh, apparel besides fanatics for our, for our team. Oh, a success! It's cool. Yeah, it's. it's super, I mean, it's like super, surreal. Super cool. Yeah. And you also let's see, you have your you also have a podcast. You also have a family. You're married and you have two kids. That's right. And you're from Cincinnati. And listen to this. So. So where should I start? Out of college, Josh went to work in his hometown of Cincinnati for Procter & Grimmel as a systems analyst. Dude, what? After 3.5 Yeah, okay. After 3.5 years of doing a little bit of actual work and a lot of holding court at the water cooler, my man, yeah. Josh decided to pursue his passion of stand-up comedy. First time on stage was at the local local comedy club, Go Bananas, and he never looked back. I also got my start at Go Bananas. 2004, Josh performed at the prestigious Just for Laughs Comedy Festival uh, in Montreal, made itself his debut, la di la di da Okay, so let's say you've had two Comedy Central specials. Um, you have been, you've performed at the South Beach Comedy Festival. Just incredible, you're incredibly accomplished in all these realms. <laughs> Let me just say this. Well, well, thank you. It's nice to know someone read that. Uh, yeah, it used to say it used to start out by saying, and for the purpose of this bio, has become skilled in at writing in the writing. third person. Yes, <laughs> because it's so weird to like write that stuff, you know. But it, but it is. But people like it matter. You know, it didn't used to matter when I wasn't headlining because no one was coming out to see like the opener. Yeah, you know. But when you're headlining like that, people want to know like what you've done before they're going to spend their money to come see you. So yeah. you have to you have to write corny stuff like that i've had to write a bunch of bios as well and you know it's really hard for me is to really get in in into myself when i lived in la um in order to be successful you have to like you have to exercise a little bit of vanity and yeah. be vain and people are like you are your job now and I, that just felt so uncomfortable for me yeah but i mean that, that's what that's part of the charm of being yeah. from the midwest right i mean yeah. seriously it's like you you're not surrounded by that where everything you say is a sales pitch for the things that you want, like hope to do, you know, cause I lived in LA and that's how it was. It yeah. was, it was very much like the movie swingers. Like I couldn't believe how much like swingers it was where it's like, Hey, how's it going? What do you drive? Yeah. Like, it's like, what? Like, how is <laughs> that a question? Okay. You know, I feel like in comedy, we kind of get a little bit of a get out of jail free pass, but everywhere I went, I would tell people they're like, how's LA? I'm like, well, everywhere I go, I am like the oldest, the fattest, the brokest, <laughs> and and like and I have the and I can't afford the valet. Like <laughs> right. I would always, people were like, "How's yoga going?" I'm like, the Lululemon store by my house legit has a valet, and like my car isn't nice enough to get valet. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> I that didn't was, really fit in. I always had weird. Like it's funny you say that, and I'm I go off on tangents. So if you need to reel me back Bring in, it, like boy, you do you, but like. Like, I always had, like, weird um, marks of success, you know? Mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't a dollar amount or anything like that. Uh, but, like, one of them has always been, like, I want to have a car that the valet guys keep close to the stand. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because those are always, like, the yes! nicest cars. Yes. Like, you're never going to see my Ford Explorer, <laughs> yeah. like, parked right next to the Maserati and the Lamborghini. Um but I've always been that way. I've always had like weird, like, how will you know that you've made it? Yeah. You know, it was never, it was never like people ask me for my autograph or like yeah. a, a money amount. It was always like, 
if I if I have my own pinball machine in my basement, like <laughs> like that is like success. Or if I get invited to the MTV Rock and Jock softball game. Wait, did you? No, no, uh, no, no. <laughs> but I do have a pinball machine in my basement. I was gonna so say like, you have a collection of them, don't I, you? I have a I have an arcade game and a pinball machine because I'm a giant child. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of valets, I recently went to the boathouse. Oh. Um, and I didn't have any cash for the valet. And so the guy in my car is, I had, I was in the process of moving. My car was full of a whole bunch of stuff. Moving out of a storage unit, stuff was old. My car is filthy. It's already not a nice car as it is. I didn't have any cash. And so the teenager is like, ma'am, you can't, you don't have any cash. And I have a, a um, I had my grandmother's sewing machine in the passenger seat. And I was like, I got a Cadillac. The Cadillac of sewing machines is in the front seat. You can just, uh, can you hold that as collateral? And the guy was like, I mean, I guess, crazy lady. Whatever. You're like, I am actually moving to the end of this parking lot. <laughs> so my house is right down there. I'm just going to hold court over there. God. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. What I think is so amazing about you is like, you are still a very successful traveling comedian. You're going on a nationwide tour here. Like right now, it starts next week. Um, yep. I'm I've got a couple dates left this year and then um January first, like it'll be the busiest that I've been in in a while. So I've been lucky with Cincy shirts. Um and then I also do social media. So like I'm like the voice of like airheads and mentos on social media. If you tweet <gasps> really? If you tweet to Airheads or you know they're owned by Perfetti Van Mel right here in Northern Kentucky. Okay. And so about six years ago they they asked me if uh, if I had interest in like responding. They wanted a comedian to respond mm -hmm. to people online that interacted with their brand so that it was like fun and funny instead yeah. of just like salesy or, or super rigid like customer service tone. Yeah. So I started doing that and. Um, between that and the t-shirt company, it put me in a position where like I didn't have to do stand-up. You know, yeah. I love doing stand-up. I still do. I love writing jokes. I mean, it's like my my real passion, yeah. you know. But when you've been doing it for 20 years, especially mm -hmm. years where I was like, I mean, I, there's years where I was on the road like 50 out of 52 weeks. Oh my gosh. So once you, once you've done that for a long time and then you have a wife and children mm -hmm. and you go from where every hotel you're in is nicer than your apartment to no hotel you're in is as nice as your house. <laughs> yeah. It, it becomes more of a job than, yeah. than anything. You know, you've been to all these cities that you the first time you're in San Antonio, you're like, I'm gonna see the Alamo, and yeah. you know, and then you get there and you're like, oh, it's just right next to Hagen Dazs ice cream. Like yeah. it's not like it's cool <laughs> to see it, but like when I go back, like I'm not super yeah. excited to go to the Alamo again. Mm -hmm. And that's it was that way for a lot of cities. Like I loved being on stage, but the travel and the living out of it's a, a tough suitcase, life, man. yeah, yeah. So, um, so for that reason, but primarily the kids. I scaled back how much I've been on the road. So like for the last four years, I haven't worked any summers. So mid-May to mid-August, I did no stand-up at all. And then the rest of the year, I would do like one or two gigs just because I still loved it and I wanted to stay with it. And you never know what could happen to Cincy shirts or the the social media work that I do. I can't just like leave comedy and then come back later. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, you know, keep going to that comedy gym or whatever. And so um, when my dry bar special came out um, 
last year. Hilarious. Thank you very much. I, like it did things that I wasn't expecting because I just kind of did it to make a good tape that I could send out. Yes. And then they blew up on Facebook and my clips blew up with it. And I started getting a bunch of work like offers for work that I hadn't gotten in a while. And so, um, you know, my son is eight. My daughter just turned three. So she doesn't need like I'm not missing a bunch of firsts like yeah. I have the I would have the first couple years. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so I'm in a position now where I could be on the road a little bit more and I feel like it's a good time for me to start working on my next project. So 2020, like that first half of the year, like I'm on the road a ton Yeah, and I haven't, it hasn't been that way in a while. I'm, I'm excited about it, but it's also kind of like, all right, I got to get back to the grind. I can't just keep doing yeah. my same jokes. I got to start writing again. I got to work on that yeah. next hour. Who are you opening for? So I'm You're only, headlining. Is I'm headlining headline everything. Okay. Yeah, the only gig I have opening for someone is actually here in Ann Arbor in uh, October, and uh, it's uh, Jim Gaffigan. Gaffigan. That's I just saw on Facebook. Congratulations. Yeah. He's thank you. Hilarious. He's amazing. You've opened for all of my favorites: Ron White, Louis Black, Dave Chappelle. We have the same dude. Yeah. Dane Cook, Mitch Hedberg, R.I.P. David Till, Genius, Bill Burr. Love that man. He's the best. Larry the Cable Guy. Bill Engvall, did I pronounce his name? Engvall, yeah. Engvall, yeah. Louis C.K., Daniel Tosh from Gaffigan, Patrice O'Neill, and Greg Giraldo. Greg Giraldo, you're not familiar with him? I, I'm not. Oh, he's a, you will, uh, if, just knowing who else you like, you need to do some homework on him, and okay. he will become one of your all-time favorites. Also, R.I.P. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, can I say congratulations on the dry, on the dry bar comedy special? So I Thank didn't you. know that you were from Cincinnati. I've been a fan. Really? You know, as a someone. So I'm one of those. I heard um, Seth Rogen say this recently that I thought I wanted to do stand up until I met other people who really wanted to do stand up and realized like I just like it, you know. And so like through my journey of being of doing comedy for like ten years. Um, I like have like been listening to you forever, and then I moved home here, and I was people were like knew you, and I was like, you guys know him? Oh my god! <laughs> like, yeah, and I like lives down the street. He's like my friend. We oh, just like hilarious. just got drinks, and I'm like, I had no, I, I had no idea. Well, thank you for saying that. It's yeah. it's silly because um, I there's so many people I feel that way about, and yeah. I, I feel like that's a healthy thing, you know. Like there are people that even me, 20 years in. I stand in the back of the room and I go, why, why do I even try? Like, why do I try to do what they do? You know, Bill Burr is one of them. Um, But, but I think that that's healthy for you because, you know, it's like golf. Like I I love to play golf. Um, I'm, I'm not great, but I'm good. And I know I can get better, but I also know that the best golfer in the world can get better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you, as long as you don't like compare yourself to other people or get um, get obsessed with what other people are doing that you're not doing, mm-hmm. like as long as you're happy in your own skin and progressing, then I feel like that's all that matters. Yeah. Right. Because, um, you know, like you said, I worked with Larry the Cable Guy, right? Uh-huh. A lot. Biggest show that I've ever done, Charlotte Bobcat Arena. 12,000 people to see Larry the Cable Guy, Yeah. right? Now, that summer, he was the fourth highest grossing concert tour of all concerts. Not comedians. It was like Coldplay and Dave Matthews Band, (laughs) and then it was like Aerosmith and Bon Jovi together, and then Larry the Cable Guy. Like, that's how many tickets he sold. 
And he, you know, he got to that point that Amy Schumer's at now, that Dane Cook used to be at, where people hated you just because you're successful, right? Mm -hmm. That you were everybody's favorite, and then people find a reason to not like you, Mm -hmm. right? And so he got a ton of backlash just because his style is so, like, you know, people said it's low-hanging fruit, or he caters to the lowest common denominator of people, and and people hated him for that, but... Someone else made a point that, like, if Larry the Cable Guy didn't exist, those people wouldn't automatically love, you know, some very smart comic. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like some highbrow comic. And it sh- it just showed me, it taught me that there there's a sense of humor for everyone. And it doesn't matter, like, like we were in Seattle once and Chris Rock had sold out the theater across the street from Larry the Cable Guy, who had also sold out the theater the same night. And when I heard we were going to Seattle, I'm like, are there redneck comedy (laughs) fans in Seattle, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like there would be enough people to come. He sold out two shows. And it's like, it's what I've learned being from here and traveling everywhere is that every town, no matter what it is, Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, New York, there's white trash people that live there, right? <laughs> there's middle class that know. live there. Yeah. There's hillbillies. There's, you know what I mean? There's yeah. like hardcore, like urban. Like comedy, as much as it is subjective, it's also universal, you know? So mm-hmm. my goal has always been write jokes that will get a laugh in any city. Like I don't want to be somebody who can only play the Midwest and that I feel weird when I go to LA or New York that I'm not like hip enough or cool enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> I Cause there's does. people like Brian Regan yeah. who well, he sells out everywhere and he doesn't curse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so as much as you can like enjoy other people's stand up, I try not to like compare myself yeah. to them because there, I know that there's an audience for me somewhere too. You know what I mean? 100%. I feel like a lot was just like in general in life, like I, I tend to not pay attention um, to response or to who's looking at what or to like I will interact with people, mm-hmm. but I try to just do my thing and just focus on how I feel about it yeah. and then go. Because like I feel like the more I spend studying other people's stuff or whatnot, it'll just cloud my own vision. Absolutely. And two things will always happen. Well, it always happened to me for sure. And mm-hmm. I would say most comics too. Number one, if you zero in on an audience member in a hundred people, if there's one person not laughing, you will zero in on them and you will only concentrate on them and you cannot get them out of your head. Right. Like that's just how it is. Um, you know, Mitch Hedberg, who I know you're a big fan of, and he's like my all time guy. There were shows that would go horribly off the rails because he focused on just yeah. one or two people that didn't look like they were having a good time. Like that's not even confirmed that they weren't even, yeah. <laughs> he just, in his mind, he got, he, he, and then he would apologize for like half an hour. Like, well, I'm so sorry. This show's terrible. You know? And it's uh, like, dude, man, just like focus on the people who like what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I'll do these like weird shows. I mean, in 20 years, I feel like I've done them all, but you know, where you won't be able to hear the audience collectively laugh, you mm-hmm. know? So all I will do, if I'm at like an outdoor show, mm-hmm. you know, like brouhaha or something like that, I will, I will look for someone who I know is paying attention to me and I will gauge how I'm doing based on them. Not yeah. obsess if they're yeah. not having a good time, but if I see them laughing and I know they're like excited to be there or whatever, and they're paying attention, like that's who I focus on to know how I'm doing. 
And okay. I just pretend that that's how everybody feels because I can't get a read on yeah, everybody. No. Yeah. yeah. Do you have like terrible bombing stories? Oh. I love having this conversation <laughs> with people. Tell me your favorite one. So I have like two that are kind of legendary for me personally. <laughs> um, only one was in a comedy club. The first one, and I tell this story on my second album, um, and I never told this story on stage. We were just, I was on a radio show and we got to talking about like terrible gigs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, right after I started doing stand up, it was like six months after I started doing stand up, I was doing a show in Dayton. Uh-huh. And this woman came up to me who worked for the Dayton Dragons baseball team. Uh-huh. And she said, um, she was like, hey, I work for the Dragons and we're thinking about doing like some comedy between innings like the minor league baseball that's our thing <laughs> is like we do stand up oh, no. uh, or we do like little skits and stuff like yeah. that we try to have fun between innings um and she was like so how would you like to play in front of a sold out baseball stadium and me all cocky you know yep. 21 years old i was like lady i've been doing this for half a year i'm to- i'm totally ready for it <laughs> You know, so I did it. And what it ended up being was her idea was that um, she wanted the the umpire to walk into the dugout and in between innings. And then they were going to say, hey, folks, tonight's umpire is a comedian. And between innings, we thought he'd do some jokes for you. So he would walk out or walk into the dugout. And then I would walk out dressed like an umpire with the mask on and everything (laughs) and then do stand up at home plate. Right. So. Right before I'm supposed to, first of all, my umpire uniform was legendarily small <laughs> for for me. And uh, and I still remember like not fitting in it. Like and so the umpire, there's the star player at the time. He was he was a, a coming up through the Reds organization. Everybody was really excited. His name was Willie Mo Pena. And everybody was there to see him. And he has a there's a play at the home plate. And it's a close call, and the umpire makes the wrong call. Like everybody could see it because they kept replaying it on the screen, no. right? And so he starts <laughs> arguing with Willie Mo Pena, who was involved in the play, and throws him out of the game, like ejects him from the game. No. And then the coach comes out to argue, and the umpire throws him out of the game. This is everyone hates this guy. Like every single person in the stadium hates this guy. And two minutes later, he is walking in the dugout, and I'm going out <laughs> pretending to be him to try to get people to laugh. So I got, so they make, you know, tonight's umpire is a comedian. I'm walking with the microphone to home plate. Boo! Like the whole place is booing me. Oh my God. They're gosh. throwing food. I start making jokes about Dayton just because it's like at this point, it's not, I'm not going to get laughs. Yeah. So I start ripping on oh Dayton. God. There was this there was this big dude who was a professional football player who in the off season would go around with the mascot. He would walk around with the dragons mascot and throw t shirts and like biggest dude I've ever met in my life. I'm not even yes. joking. He's like six seven, two eighty. Like it was nuts. Oh, that's terrifying. That's all he did. He was a professional linebacker. He was linebacker for the Jets. And in the se- in the summers he would just work for the Dragons because that's where they him and his wife lived in the yes. off season. So he had told me, if anything goes wrong, I'll come out there because everybody loves me and, you know, I'll come out there and they'll know it was a big joke. So he starts jogging to me while I'm bombing at home plate. He starts <laughs> jogging to me and I'm like, oh, here comes this guy. So everybody's going to know it was a big joke. 
he goes into a full on sprint and tackles me. No, like a straight spear. Oh like, my goodness! Like just like levels me at home plate, and the audience, like the the crowd, loses it. There, yes. they. He is he has got his arms out. I'm laying on the ground. I'm literally laying on the ground. I have no breath in my body. He picks oh. me up. He, he, I'll never forget this. He picks me up like I'm nothing, like a rag doll. Yeah. Throws me over his shoulder. He picks the mic up off the ground. He's like, hey, Dragon fans, how about I'll take out the trash tonight? Yeah. Dude, they lose it. And he's, and I'm just like laying limp over his shoulder <laughs> as he carries me back to the dugout. And I'll just never forget. I had told my mom and dad, I was like, you guys should come. I'm going to do stand up in front of all these people. So they were in the audience. Oh, my gosh. And saw me like get murdered at home plate. And then I got paid like thirty dollars to do it. Like it was like the worst decision I had ever made in my life. How do you? Okay, but also that's the most epic story. How do you come down, or how do you move on from that? I feel like anything else from there, you're like, maybe you start off with the worst. Anything else, you go through life just like I've been through it. It can't get any worse than that. And if nothing else, professionally, you say like, okay. Clearly, there are jobs that I'm not supposed to say yes to. Yes, like you don't, yes. you don't. Stage time is not that important <laughs> that you have to say yes to everything. I was one of the first times I bombed horribly. I was living in a on my way to New York to do stand up. Uh, there was a time where I worked in finance and was a comedian. So my whole thought process was, well, I'm going to move to New York, and I had a job at a hedge fund. And I was like, I'm either going to become a billionaire, because everybody does, and they work in hedge funds, <laughs> or I will be a thriving, um, successful stand-up comedian, or both, who knows. So I stopped at this um, tourist town on the way for a couple months to um, to save some money, and I'm doing stand-up at a bar in between sets of like five different bands that were playing oh, great. and everyone's talking and really drunk and it, the acoustics were terrible and it was $50. The pay was $50 and a bar tab. And I had friends visiting that week. Like my boyfriend brought like a whole bunch of friends that week and they were in the back. No one could hear me. And it was just so bad. I walked off stage and I went to my boyfriend and I started crying and the, the manager goes to pay me the $50. And I said to her, I don't deserve it. Just take it. And I wouldn't <laughs> let her pay me. And oh. I think I drank a couple of beers and just like, oh, held my head. It was not as, but not nearly as bad as getting tackled. Oh, it's, that's, I think, I think yours is way, way worse. Like emotional, like that's <sighs> the worst is that feeling of like helplessness like at at some point when i was at the dragon stadium like i realized like this is a this isn't getting better as a comedian like this is like a sketch right like i'm involved in like a prank and so that one didn't really hurt me like emotionally yeah. do you know what i'm saying yeah but there's so many that have um so darren my business partner at cincy shirts yeah. is an amazing artist right mm-hmm. And there was a time where there was a a gallery at Newport on the Levee mm-hmm. that had seen some of his work, and he and the guy was like, "Have you ever done sports paintings? Because I get a lot of people come in here asking for like paintings of famous sports people, and I don't have anybody local that can do them. Mm-hmm. Is this something you'd be into? Because I could literally take orders and have you do them." And Darren was like, "You know, I'm you know I'm a pretty good artist. I feel like I could do it. I haven't done it yet, but I feel like I could." So. He, his first project that he did 
was uh, Chad Johnson, Chad Ocho Cinco, the receiver for the Bengals. Yes. Um, and it was an amazing painting. Like it was this like twenty four by thirty six on canvas painting, and um, and I was it was like his practice thing. And I go, dude, I'll I'll buy it. I was like, I'm telling you right now, I'll buy it. And so, uh, I had this painting hanging up, and Chad Johnson started uh, a comedy night at the Funny Bone when it was in Newport on the Lake. I remember that. So he um, he would show up like once a month, and then uh, Gary Owen, the comedian, <laughs> yeah, who's also from here, very funny uh, and very popular with the urban crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like the guy putting it on. He was the host, and he would bring in the comics. So he says, uh, "Why don't you come down and?" do the show and I go you know I've done these kind of crowds before that can be kind of hit or miss like <laughs> you know because in fairness like what I was always taught is like if you're going up in front of like an African-American crowd as long as you don't go up and try to act African-American you will be fine like they can sense if you're trying to cater to them like just go up and do your act so I had worked with like Samore and Earthquake and Guy Tori and like all these big like Def Jam comedy acts. And I always did fine, you know? Yeah. But this was different because this is my hometown and this isn't like a night where people paid $50 to come see a show. So that, so this was like Showtime at the Apollo, mm-hmm. but it was at the Newport on the Levee. Woo! Right? <laughs> and so reluctantly, I was like, all right, maybe I'll come down one week. And he goes, well, Chad is going to be there this particular night. And uh, and I was like, you know what? I can get my painting signed. And I was like, I'm going to go. I'll go do a set. And my only goal is to get my painting signed by Chad, like, after the show. Okay. So I go down there. I've got this giant-ass <laughs> painting. Like, this, I mean, this thing is crazy big i'm carrying it through newport on the levee uh-huh. and i get it i get to the green room and i put it in there and i'm like this crowd is super rowdy yeah like they are like they are off the rails so i i'm like i don't think this is gonna go well i just i had a feeling this is not gonna go well so gary gets up there i'm standing off to the side he introduces me and he's like uh you guys are gonna love him give it up for josh need so as soon as I come into view, like they're they're clapping. As soon as I come into view and they can see that it's this like kind of chubby white dude like mm-hmm. walking up on the stage and they're like, oh, hell no. Like it was just like, like I felt them turn before I had even gotten to the microphone. So I get to, so I get to the microphone and I was like, hey, everybody, how's it going? You suck. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. So I'm like, just plow through it. You're only doing seven minutes. Just plow through it. So I, I I get like halfway into my first joke and they the whole crowd just starts booing. Boo, <laughs> get him off the stage, boo, boo. And I was like, oh my God, this is awful. And I had never I had never not finished my set. Yeah. Right. Like up at the up to that point I had never gotten off before I was supposed to because yeah. it was going that bad. So I go, All right, well thanks. So I put the mic in the mic stand <laughs> and uh and I walk off stage. Gary runs up to the microphone and he starts scolding them. He's like that is inappropriate. He's like, this dude has been on Comedy Central. He is he is hilarious. You guys didn't even give him a chance. And I'm ashamed that I invited him here and that you guys actually like this. And I'm standing off to the sta- side of the stage and I'm just like shaking my head. And he goes, 
I'm gonna bring him back up here. No! And I was like, no, no! Gary, do not. And I'm like, I'm like going, Dude. no, no, like waving my arms. Do not. He's like, I'm gonna bring him back up here, and you're gonna give him a chance to actually be funny. He's like, you guys understand? So he introduces me again, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe he did this to me. And I walk back onto the stage. I go. So anyway, I boom. They just turned on me. I was like, all right, no. And I just put the mic in the mic stand and walked off. And I was like, oh I had this like pit in my oh stomach because I had never experienced that. Yeah. Like where it was like they hated me. They knew they hated me before I. They yeah. even just I have a chance to change their minds. But I got my painting signed, and that was uh, all that really that mattered. He's Chad. He's a nice guy. Yeah. I used to see him around town all the time back in the day. I got food off stage at the Belly Room. Oh. I think I've told you this story. And I, so it was one of my first times doing stand up in LA. I get to LA to do stand up, and the first night I get there, I'm on like two hours of sleep and a whole bunch of adrenaline and a dream. And I go <laughs> and do stand up my first night there. I drop my stuff off, and like three hours later, I'm like, Where's the closest open mic? Let's do this. Don't want to waste any time. I go one night, get my feet wet, run into people that I knew there, which was like, This wow. is a great sign. Very next time I do stand up, I decide to go to the Belly Room, which, for those who don't know, it's in the back of the comedy store. Yep. And it's where everyone writes for the the Comedy Central roast. Yep. And it's kind of something that you have to work your way up to. Yes. A little bit. It's a really tough. These are for like really serious comedians. And at this point, I'm like, this is fun. We'll see what happens. And it's also very clicky. Like, oh. LA is worse than New York in that regard, right? Where oh, yeah. it's like the audience. The audiences in New York, they come out to see good comedy. And in yeah. L.A., they come out to see somebody famous. Yes. And I go into this room. I'm the only female in the room. Mm. And I just am bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I connect with the MC almost immediately, pretty much because I'm the only girl. And, um, and all night, he's trying to get me on stage. I forgot exactly. How, he was picking names out of a hat for open mic, right? Oh, okay. On yeah. Sunday, open mic night. And... He, ne he never picks my name, and he can just tell I look incredibly disappointed. So in the very last, like at the very last go, they didn't have any time left, but he says, wait, who still wants to, who still wants stage time? Raise your hand. So I raise my hand. He picks like six people, and everyone gets up on stage, and he goes, all right, everyone. Um, he pairs <laughs> us up, and he goes, oh, no. y'all have to do jokes for stage time funniest person wins and that person gets to do five minutes and so it goes up to me and this guy and he was terrible i'm not gonna lie the guy was really bad i don't think i'm as bad but i just start talking i don't remember exactly what i started talking about but i know less than a minute in every single person in the room which happens to be a man starts booing so loud and screaming get the chick off the stage Get the chick off uh, the stage. And in that moment, you're like fight or flight, you know? And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even believe this is happening. And so I look to everyone and I get all sassy and raise my finger. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not done. And then somebody yells like, please be done. Oh, no. And I continue to talk. And then I eventually just like trail off and just stop talking. And everyone is shouting. And I look at the MC and he gives me kind of a like, eh, I mean, I tried, chick. I tried. And I... Never went back to the belly room. Uh, it's on my it's on my bucket list of things to go back and do at some point. Exercise your yeah. But it was you gotta get those moments out. You do. And it makes like and the thing is, is you never want to hear this in the moment. Like nothing in the moment can console you for the, uh, like moments like that. Absolutely but nothing. after the fact you realize like 
every person, no matter how mu- how funny you and perfect you think they are, has gone through it. Oh yeah, probably pr- good chance worse. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And uh, and came out better because of it. Yeah, right? I feel like it's like a medal of honor now. Well, you know? I tell you know, like it's so funny that anybody would ask me for advice, but it's like. You know, I, I I realized I did it when I was a young comic. Like, it didn't have to be somebody famous. It was just like, well, you're headlining, so you've done this long enough to get to this spot. Mm-hmm. Like, what advice do you have, right? And so um, what I always tell young comics is if, you, if you're thinking about starting out, what, what will tell you if you want to do it for real or not is that no matter how it goes on stage. You can't wait to get back up there again. Yeah. Right. Cause like so many people have experienced what you and I just talked about mm-hmm. and they're like, I, I can never do that again. And I'm petrified and I'm terrified uh, yeah. and I'm never, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you, if that happens to you and you're like next time, uh, heck you know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. Or if it goes really well and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to do better than that. Yeah. Like no matter how it goes, if you can't wait to get back up there, that's when you know, that you've got it in you to to at least be a comic. Okay, that's what I feel like you live that mentality in life in general. Because I don't know how your brain power can work to create as much as you do. How do you like ex- how do you exercise so much creativity all the time? Well, one thing that I found out was that you know, for the the three jobs that I've talked about, so the comedy, mm-hmm. the t-shirts and the social media is that they all they're all creative, but they're they're different parts of my comedy brain, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, for for the T-shirt and the social media, it's a visual thing. Like, it's how does how does a joke read when you see a photo or read it in text, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I can do more um, more wordplay on Twitter than I can in my act because the pun is more obvious on Twitter because you see the spelling difference. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I've learned that it's, it's funny, but it's different parts of my brain. So the, the material that I write for stand up comes from a different place than the t-shirts. And, uh, and also with the t-shirts, like I have a whole team of like amazing people to, um, to ideate on the concepts and then also execute them from, the concept to an actual design to the people who print it to the people who pack it and ship it. Like none of that is possible without the, the people that, that does, work for me. How does that work? Do you, are you the, um, do you think of like visually of what's going on with it? And then you tell your partner, Darren, and that's how it used to be. So okay. from, from when we started, we started in Dayton, Kentucky. Uh, we, we helped, gut a warehouse yeah that hadn't had a business in it for like 20 years um and we uh it was just me and him that we had a website nope we didn't really have a store for a long time we had a tiny little storefront where we were printing but we weren't telling people to come shop there and um i we would both come up with the ideas and at that time it wasn't cincy shirts it was just our it was called look at me shirts and it was like funny pop culture like movie quotes and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and uh we would both come up with the ideas he would design them and then i would promote him when i was out on the road so like if i was going to a radio station like i'd have on this shirt with like eddie murphy on it from coming to america you know and it'd be like (laughs) randy watson world tour and and then people would always be like oh my gosh i love that shirt and i'm like oh this is this is my company we made this yeah and uh you can get it at look at me shirts.com and so that's kind of how we started to build our our brand 
Um, and shameless, you are right? shameless. I mean, I didn't know how. And then I would pass out cards after the show yeah. that had the website on it, and um, and it was just he and I. And then in 2010, we started Cincy Shirts, and for four years it was online only. And then we thought. Let's see what it would be like to actually have a store. Because people were always, hey, where's your store? I've never seen your store. Mm -hmm. And so we found a place on Main Street and over the Rhine. They gave us a three-month lease because we just wanted to do it for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, let's just see how it goes. We bought a bunch of fixtures on Craigslist. We took like our maybe 15 most popular designs from the website and printed stock of them. Because mm -hmm. we were just printing on demand as, as they got ordered. And so we opened up that store, and then the next year, FC Cincinnati uh, started and took off. So um, they weren't ready for how popular they were, yeah. and so they didn't have enough inventory to satisfy all the people that wanted to come to the games. So they were sending people to our store because we were the only other place printing their stuff. Oh, great. And so we kind of became a destination for FC Cincinnati fans because people are going to these games. You know, it's like 20,000, 30,000 people who literally have never been to a game because like, yeah. they didn't exist. Yeah. So they all need stuff to wear, you know, and the team shop was sold out. So they like, yeah, go to Cincy Shirts. They have stuff. Man. And so that let us open our second store in Hyde Park where we were printing and shipping from there. And then Fiona was born. And uh, talk about the right place at the right time. I know it's been it's been insane. I mean, if the zoo, if we could get a new pro team every year, and if the <laughs> zoo could just have a premature animal that goes that viral globally <laughs> every year, I mean, I would I mean, you'd be set. It, it'd be perfect. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's crazy because uh, for so long it was just me and him. Yeah. And then now we've got three stores and we've got a separate warehouse where we print and ship from and have our meetings and Stop stuff. In. Dude, talk about like, just do what you love and it'll all work out. Well, I you think know? it's in that 10,000 hours. You know, everybody yeah. talks about 10,000 hours. That's and crazy. I was just thinking about that this morning. Like 10,000 hours was what I was, was my morning meditation. Yeah. Or, yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think it's a magic number, but, but. Yeah, I think, you know, I feel like that with my comedy and mm -hmm. uh, and, and now with the t-shirt business that um, in that 10,000 hours, like, not only do you get better, but you also, as long as you learn from your mistakes, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, I feel like that's, a, it sounds corny, but like relationships, like everything, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, I feel like I was ready to get married later and have kids later. Because by that time, I knew what I didn't want in a yeah. relationship. You know what I mean? You lived a lot of life. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You, uh, I'm just going to, I've never met your family, mm -hmm. but I'm going to take a wild guess that your wife must be the most patient, <laughs> kind, and wonderful woman in the world. She's She is very patient and very kind. Absolutely. Um, well, my second album, mm -hmm. um, the cover of it is her... Oh, with no that. makeup, yeah. Two days after a C-section of <laughs> our uh, having our son in the hospital, she, that's her on the cover. Oh and, wow, I didn't know and that. And she gave me permission to use that as the cover. So yeah, if you want to pull it up, I don't that's know if you I have the internet here so you can I, see the photo. <laughs> but it's a pretty funny photo um, that I ended up writing material about the photo so that I could use it as the cover for my album. It's called Unsung Hero. Okay, and. Um, 
basically the picture of it if you look up look it up online you'll see me in a hospital bed yes okay, holding yes. my two-day-old son <laughs> you freak while my <laughs> wife is sitting there with her hospital gown in a regular chair next to me giving me a sip of water so it looks like i've done all the work so and what you're the most hilarious person and she's the second most hilarious person so what happened was she had had a c-section and had been in bed for like two straight days, and she said, I just want to sit in a regular chair. So um, I was like, and her her mother was sitting in one of the chairs, so I said, okay, sit here. So I took the baby. I sat down on the, on the hospital bed so that she could sit in the chair next to the bed and just kind of sit up. Yeah. And I made the joke, man, it'd be really funny if, like, the nurse walked in right now and, like, I'm in the bed with the baby <laughs> and you're in a regular chair. Uh, and didn't have the full story. So I go, I go, let's take a picture. So I take my shirt off so that it looks like I'm in like hospital guard. Yeah. And then I lay back and then her mom took that picture and I just thought it was really funny. And I posted it online, you know, like, Hey everybody, thanks for the, for the prayers. I'm doing, I'm doing all right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been, uh, it's been a rough couple of days, but everybody's, you know, we're getting through it. And so I, then I wrote all this, I started sharing that picture around and people were like, Oh my gosh, you have to make that like your yeah. next album cover. So I wrote all this material about, you know, how the dads in the birthing process are the unsung heroes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how that came to be. But, but I say that just so you know that that photo in iTunes and on yes. on major record label for comedy, uh, she was she was okay with using that picture. So that's the kind of sense she's. I think she's just numb to it at this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. she just knows uh, if some if something happens, I'm probably going to write a bit about it. Yeah. Okay, and believe it or not, that is part one of a three-part series of me sitting down with Josh Need. Thank you so much to Josh for joining us and to his wife for being so awesome and letting him come and do all the stuff that he does. Thank you to Jeff Thomas for letting us take over this week again. It's the Person of Interest podcast with Jeff Thomas, but I'm kind of filling in for right now. You can check it out at WKRQ.com. Google it. Also, check it out on Instagram. I post at WKRQ and also at Nat Jones. That's my personal. That's N-A-T-J-O-O-O, three O's, N-E-S. And Josh Need is at Josh Need, which is J-O-S-H-S-N-E-E-D. And those that is his Facebook as well. His name, as is mine, Natalie Jones. Thank you so much for tuning in. And keep in mind, I will be posting two more episodes over the next two weeks. We'll see you soon.